Welcome to the DaVinci Hour podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Maxwell Cooper, and in this podcast series, I interview physicians, medical innovators, and entrepreneurs making an impact on healthcare. This podcast is produced by DaVinci Academy, a multimedia medical education company that provides podcasts, video courses, and digital textbooks. You can see more on our website, www.dbiacademy.com and our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash C slash DaVinci Academy Med. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the DaVinci Hour podcast. I'm joined this week by Dr. Rami Webby. He is the founder and host of the Beyond Medicine podcast and also the founder of the Beyond Medicine group, among a number of other digital health endeavors as well. So Rami, welcome to the podcast. Happy to have you here. Maxwell, thanks so much for having me, man. I'm ex- I'm excited to do this with a fellow podcaster. Yeah, yeah, it's, I've <laughs> I've done this I think like once or twice before, so it's always fun to like you know share stories and talk shop and everything like that. So, thanks for joining us. So maybe yeah. I gave you a little bit of a brief intro, but maybe give us a little more background on you know what's your education, where'd you go to school, your training, uh, and then where you are now. What what kind of endeavors yeah. you're working on now? Absolutely. Um, before I do that, though, I gotta I gotta say what an absolute beast you are for uh, for just pulling off an all nighter, uh, <laughs> working an overnight shift, and uh, and doing this podcast. So um, I, I remember doing that during residency as well, and uh, just uh, highlights your commitment. So I gotta shout you out for that. No, um, I, I appreciate that. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, so yeah, I'm a uh, um, you know my story is that I. Um, you know, grew up in Metro Detroit. I went to Michigan State for medical school. I went on to do my training in family medicine. I was in Worcester, just outside of uh, Boston and Worcester, a really cool town, very diverse. Uh, I got a really great experience there. And really after residency training, I moved back to Michigan. I sort of, always, you, know, you know, I guess to give some context to all of this, during medical school, I started one of the first medical podcasts. So in 2017, um, I was studying for my step two exams and I was listening to the Golgin. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of Gold. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. Golgin. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I was listening to them off like some website. I don't know if it was like bootleg or not. I'm sorry if it was Golgin, um, but it was just, you know, like audio off of a website. And I was, you know, it would, I would fill my uh, time commuting listening to these lectures. And uh, at the time I had been doing this Instagram blog. So I, I started, um, I started like documenting my journey in medical school. I was sort of one of those, like the first really Instagram influencer, really. Like I started doing this super early before, like all the, the influencers you see now. And there was like maybe five other doctors that I remember uh, that were doing this too at the time. And so I started using hashtags on my Instagram and uh, like putting med student and medical student. All of a sudden, you know, I'm doing this blog and posting pictures and like in the hospital, nothing goofy, you know, like I wasn't doing dances and stuff, but just like, you know, documenting what I was doing. And uh, all of a sudden I've got like 20,000 or 15,000 followers and uh, it's mostly pre-medical students. And this is like, once again, this is like 20, I started that in 2014, 2015, I think. And then uh, as I was listening to the Golgian lectures, and then I was like, Hmm, this is kind of interesting. Why isn't there more content that I can just listen to on the go that helps me study? I'm, I'm looking at my Instagram, like I have a bunch of doctors on my Instagram. Why don't I just like call them up and record and see and see like if we can learn something from each other. And then I, I'm looking through my phone and I see this weird looking app that says podcast. And it's like, oh, what is this thing that I never use? <laughs> so I look through it. I'm like, huh, 
I got I to gotta figure this out. I think there's something here. And then also the, the last piece of the puzzle was, I, you know, I, I had just gotten a new car at the time and I'd plug my phone into my car and uh, the dashboard of your, of your phone would come up. Like you could see the apps. And I had like this, uh, like, it was like, everything came together. I was like, I see the future. This is the Netflix of radio. Podcasts are the Netflix of radio. This is how content's going to be consumed. People are going to do this in their car all the time. Once this thing, once the integration ha- gets a little bit better, the technology gets more advanced, this is going to be the thing. So I was like, all right, that's it. I'm going all in starting a podcast. So I, you know, um, this is, you know, nearing my fourth year. I, I put all my future vacation money into putting this, uh, this podcast together. I brought in a bunch of pre-medical students that were, um, that wanted that were basically interns with me. And we just launched it. We sent out like a bunch of shirts to a bunch of people that I was connected to on my Instagram. And um, uh, really it took off from there because it was the first, really the first podcast in, in, in medicine. Um, I think there was actually one more, another podcast by a friend of mine, um, Frank Cusmano. I don't remember the name of his podcast, but he was doing this too at the time. Yeah. I think I've yep. heard of that podcast too. That's, that's yep. awesome. So like, yeah, you really were like a, a trailblazer in a way. Cause now it's, I mean, I feel like every day I'm seeing a new like med student or resident like influencer out there, or podcaster. And so you were, you were a, a man ahead of your time for sure. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was early because uh, the, my, I remember my first guest, my first few guests, I had to explain what a podcast was. Um, and they're like, what's that? And like, I'm like, we're just going to record. And then, you know, the audio will go up and it, it, it was a really cool thing. It was, I, I, I learned a lot doing it and it was, it was fun because you get to talk with your colleagues and it's a, it's a way to talk to people and get to know people and build relationships, which is what I really valued from it. But fast forward, uh, you know, I did this throughout residency, not great. You know, I tried to do my best because obviously res- residency is hard. And then after that, I actually left my residency after my second year. So I did two years of training. Uh, and after my second year, I sort of knew I was going to go into a non-clinical career path. And I wanted to go into the business development side of things and maybe pursue an MBA or something. So I, I got super burned out in residency. It's kind of a longer story, but I, I was a transfer student. So then, you know, I needed to do an extra year to meet my graduation requirements. And I was like, I'm going to go do something else for a little bit. If I, you know, I figured if I want to come back, I can come back in the future. And that was really the start of a really whole new career path and trajectory for me. And it's been a great, it's been a really fun learning experience. And I've got to learn a bunch of new skills as I've uh, sort of embarked on this new endeavor. But to give you some added context here, I got my license. So I was, you know, obviously moonlighting, able to moonlight during uh, the residency training. But I moved back to Michigan, started working in urgent care part-time. And I started actually building a business around my podcast and turned it into a media company, essentially. And that media company would, uh, we would do productions with biotech and biopharma companies, tell their stories, um, really do high-end productions for them and sell them as packages. So that was fun for a little bit. It was a great learning experience, but it wasn't a great business model. Um, margins weren't great and it was a uh, very capital intensive. And so that led me to my next opportunity, which was working in startups. And so um, I got recruited to join a startup here in Austin, Texas, and uh, I was basically a growth director for them. Uh, and uh, that was a really, really awesome learning experience because I learned I saw like the, the whole, the inside of a startup, what it takes, what it looks like, how you raise capital, how you work in a hierarchy, how you work in teams, um, how you um, achieve your goals, how you set benchmarks. Um, 
just a you know, it opened up my eyes to a whole new world. And uh, ever since then, I've been doing advising. I, I work as an a, a advisor for uh, several startups now. And then I do some fractional consulting, which is uh, really fun. And then I got the BMG group, which I started in Beyond Medicine. <laughs> so that's a, that's in a nutshell, my, uh, my story. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks for giving that overview. Definitely want to get more in depth on some of those aspects. I kind of initially want to talk about the podcast a little bit. So you kind of hit on like why you started, what type of guests did you have? And I, I imagine maybe that's evolved over time, like what type of guests you've had and like it sounds like your audience at first was maybe just people in healthcare, maybe med students, and then maybe has that that has evolved as well. And then what kind of like unique opportunities? And I think you touched a little bit on this, like what unique opportunities have you seen coming out of that podcast as well? So the the interesting thing was because I had the Instagram and I was connected with sort of these other um, medical influencers. Really, the strategy was we interview the medical influencers that have like a hundred thousand followers and and one hundred fifty thousand followers. And we'd create great content for them. And I had a team of seven interns working with me doing this. So we'd create some amazing content for them and we'd send them it. And then they'd post it on their socials and post links to our podcast. And somehow like that ended up being the holy grail of how to grow a podcast because their whole audience would be getting this amazing content from someone they like they value their followers are there for them. Right. And I'm giving them a spotlight to showcase themselves talk about things in a way they may not have heard their audience may not have heard them talk about things. Right. And so, uh, you know, we just, we just started pulling in followers from, from our guests audiences. And so that was really how I started. And it, it was fun for me because I'd get to talk with other doctors really about the cool things they were doing, how they built their followings, you know, how they're utilizing it and, and just learning from, from that. And then it sort of, there was network effects that came from that. That's awesome. Yeah. I, I found podcasting to be a very good networking tool, you know, initially I, and I kind of interviewed like really basically my friends was kind of the first, the, the OG, like first 10 episodes is basically like people that were friends or friends of mine, you know, they're also physicians, but those are the best conversations though. Yeah. They were very <laughs> like, you know, unscripted and like, I don't even know if I wrote any questions for them or not. Like, just cause like I knew these guys. And so like, I knew what to ask them and stuff like that. And yeah, yeah we had some cool, con- like we had one on like, uh, one of the first ones was like how to transition from med school to intern year. Another one was like how to pick your specialty. And then it's kind of evolved into like a lot, a lot of the guests I have now, I've never like, you know, I've never met before in my life, maybe, you know, done some email exchanges and things like that. But uh, so it's, it's a really cool way to network and, and uh, meet new people. I'm curious to, did your podcasting lead to any of these like digital health opportunities or advising opportunities you've had? Absolutely. Almost all of them. Um, actually, my first full-time role as a, as a director was uh, through the podcast. Um, met a woman, a very nice woman, Ruby uh, from MDisrupt. And, you know, we had a great conversation. And after that, you know, she was like, hey, you're great at speaking. And, um, you, you know, I think you'd be really good for us in this role. And, you know, went on from there. And it was, uh, it was pretty cool. Like it really did. Uh, it, and I had a lot other, a lot of other opportunities that I really didn't take through the podcast, but it's a, uh, if you bring people value and, um, you know, you're curious and you're interested and you're, you know, you're really there to help them. Uh, I think, I think, you know, people appreciate that and, uh, it, it goes a long way, especially for networking. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So I'm curious on, so you did the podcast, you've kind of developed these new opportunities you were, and you were doing this, like juggling this during residency. I'm curious, maybe give us a little bit of background on like what, 
kind of led to that decision to leave to leave clinical medicine? Uh, you know, obviously, it sounds like you did it still a little bit after leaving, which is which is kind of interesting. Um, but I guess I imagine that was not a decision made, you know, overnight. That was kind of a culmination um, of, of things. <laughs> that was a decision I made almost four different times throughout <laughs> my medical journey. Uh, so the first time was probably during medical school where, you know, I think in my second year or something, I had a real epiphany of like, oh my gosh, what did I get myself into? I, I, I thought this was something else. I, I didn't know this is what I signed up for. And, uh, you know, like at that point you're in too deep and you're just like, shoot, what do I do? Um, and I remember this feeling I had, I was, I was doing a preceptorship with a primary care doctor and she was really miserable. And then like, I had a second preceptorship a couple of weeks after that. And then the, the gentleman that was the physician in that practice was also miserable. I'm like, what the heck is going on here? Why is everybody so miserable? Like, why, why are people not happy in their jobs? Why are they so cynical? And I just didn't get it. And then, um, you know, you go into your clinical uh, years as a third and fourth year. And, you know, like the themes really didn't change that much. I don't know if it's because I was in Detroit or not, but, you know, you'd come across uh, maybe 10%, it was like 20% of docs are really happy, really thriving. And then there's the others that are, that are really not. And I started to, wonder, I wonder if I'm going to be one of those that are really not happy because, uh, you know, you know, I found that the doctors that were really happy, like you could tell this was their calling, right? These, these were the docs that lived and breathed medicine when they talk about, you know, uh, a study or like they'd light up. Right. And I was like, Oh shit, that's not me. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, so I had that realization early on. And so, um, Actually, I contemplated leaving actually after medical school, but then uh, I, I realized my degree is useless if I don't at least do one year of residency or two years of residency in some states. So I was like, dang, I, you know, I probably should at least get, a, get my license so it's not a complete waste. And so I went on to do an intern year in, uh, in Pennsylvania in a, in, a, in a rural program. I did that first year. And uh, after my first year, I was like, all right, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm going to, I'm leaving after this. Uh, so I put in my resignation actually after my first year. Um, and then I got cold feet uh, as I neared uh, that end of the first year. Um, I got cold feet and I thought maybe, maybe it's just this program. Maybe like I need to go to a better program. Maybe I could, maybe if there's somewhere else I go, that's better. Um, I'll feel differently. And so uh, I trans, I, you know, I went through a very difficult process to do this. Um, it was not easy to transfer out of a program, by the way. I'm, I don't know if it, this is a whole another topic we can maybe talk about another time. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah. I've had some, we've had a couple of, uh, cause we have a, we have one of the largest radiology residencies in the country. And so we've had a number of people kind of transfer in and out. And I know people have done that process and they say exactly the same thing you're talking about. It's a very arduous process you need like the stars yeah, to align very political process it's very hard to net it's like playing chess it's uh you know <laughs> like it's a very political sort of process and you have to navigate it you have to be very careful how you navigate it um <laughs> so anyways i was able to transfer to a really great program uh right outside of boston at umass um probably one of the best family medicine programs in the country in my opinion and i had the best mentors i had like really great experience there. I learned so much, um, but I was so behind, so behind because I went from a, you know, a a program that was rural and, you know, a small community program that was like their second year ever opened and didn't really learn much there. 
And so I go to this new program and I'm like, I just went from little league softball to major league baseball overnight. And uh, I was out of my element for sure. <laughs> so I spent that whole year. I was like, man, I have to catch up to these people. I have to, I have to get on their level. I have to get, you know, my co-residents were from Harvard and BU. And uh, I was like, I'm just, I'm just barely, I, I might've graduated last in my medical school. I don't know. <laughs> like I'm not, I'm not on the same level as these guys. So I busted my butt trying to catch up and really trying to learn as much as I could and uh, become a good physician and just from like a, from a knowledge base, you know, and uh, busted my butt for that year. And then COVID hit and then um, just uh, burned myself out because I was working 80 hours a week, but also on top of that studying all the time so I could get on everybody else's level and uh, like just burned myself out to a crisp Um, on top of that my credits didn't really transfer fully. So, you know, I had to do another year and I was like, can I do another year and a half of this? <laughs> I was like, I don't think so. <laughs> Not just for a piece of paper. Cause I knew at the end of it, I was going to, you know, I was probably going to go and get my, either my MBA or work in startups or, you know, double down on my business. And I was already making some money from the podcast that I was doing throughout residency. So I also had an exit. Like I sort of planned out an exit. I knew I could pay my rent if I did this. It was a, it was a very, uh, very difficult decision to make. And, uh, you know, it took me a whole year, probably it took me a whole year after that to really come to terms with it and, and, um, get over the insecurity that comes with, you know, not doing that or not getting board certified. And, you know, once I, once I, my identity changed around really what I do, I think I was, it's it become like, now I know where I fit in, you know, now I know what I do and I don't have that same sort of, uh, obscurity. Um, but yes, it was a planned process. I think that there obviously it doesn't, it shouldn't have to be so hard for, for other doctors, right? There should be off ramps at certain stages of medical training. Like there really should be an off ramp right after medical school. You shouldn't, you shouldn't have to graduate medical school with a useless degree, right? That's something we got to figure out. Like our ACGME are, you know, we have to do better because there's some people that it's just not for them. And they spent $300,000 on a medical degree and, you know, they got nothing to show for it. And there's, there's a tons of students that go unmatched every year with nothing, with nothing to do. They got to go do research, get paid a minimum wage job. And these are, these are full-fledged physicians at this point. And, uh, you know, if you look at our counterparts, if you look at nurse practitioners and PAs with, you know, obviously less experience and less training, they're able to go into practice. They're working under other doctors. They have uh, they have horizontal movement that can go from one specialty to another, but our 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 culture of medicine holds us to unbearable standards, and uh, I think I think that's a real conversation that needs to be had. But maybe that's also another podcast. But anyways, there should be off ramps. You know, medical school year one, year two, like the, you know, a path to being a general practitioner, practitioner, or a path to business and 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 you know, healthcare innovation, that sort of thing. Because um, I know I'm not alone here. I know and I've had a lot of students and residents reach out to me after this or from knowing my story that just come to me seeking guidance or advice in how to navigate this process. And it's hard for a lot of people. Yeah, definitely. You know, it's one thing I was thinking of recently is, you know, like the fourth year of med school is such a wash, you know, because, you know, you're applying for a residency you're, you know, maybe taking your step two. if you're doing one of the competitive specialties, you got to do away rotations, and then, you know, a lot of people, the classic is, oh, I'm going to do, you know, pathology and hang out or like, you know, I'm going to travel or do whatever, you know, and try and graduate as early as, or finish as early as possible. 
but you just spent, you know, 30, 50, $60,000. I mean, that's a pretty expensive, like hangout year, you know, there's, (laughs) and so I feel like this fourth year, I feel like this fourth year, it would be so much better if schools offered like not so much like making you do stuff in the hospital, but do stuff like that's outside the hospital. Like maybe go do a one month internship with a, you know, startup or a venture capital firm that focuses on like healthcare or something like that, or just to even open your eyes to that and make connections. I don't think they want that. I don't think they want want doctors discovering other paths because once you do, it makes clinical medicine seem a little bit unappealing in, in all honesty. Because uh, there's, there, there are a lot of other opportunities in these spaces and you can do really well financially, especially as a physician. And so I don't, I don't you know, with the shortage of doctors and, and I don't think it, it'll be in the best interests of them. You know, I think they keep us a little bit, uh, um, what's the right word, uh, sheltered for <laughs> on yeah. purpose. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I don't know if you know uh, Naveen Goyle at all. I just had him on, yeah. on the podcast recently. Yeah, he's an awesome guy. He was an you know anesthesiologist for a long time. Now he's a venture capitalist, and he's very very happy. You know, he kind of had the same sort similar story to you. You know, practice and then ended up you know leaving. And uh, you know, he's he says you know it just got to the point he what he's realized since leaving is even you know he was in so cush specialties you know as we say in medicine and anesthesiology, but he was like we still work even if you're in a cush specialty you still work a lot harder than most people realize in most average jobs and i, I think that's true i mean even like you know i'm in you know i'm training to do interventional radiology but i'm also getting bored in diagnostic radiology as part of that and he, the diagnostic radiologist the, during the day like it is very busy like people think oh we're just sitting drinking coffee like sure we work you know 8 to 5 you know on diagnostic rotations but like especially like where in my program, we are reading studies like pretty much nonstop. Like, I mean, it is, you know, it is not like we're hanging out (laughs) and obviously like other specialties, it's the same similar type of thing. But like, I guess my point with this is, is to kind of echo what you're saying is that we work a lot harder than we even realize, like compared to what other opportunities are out there. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, well, cause here's the thing I actually, so I went and worked in an urgent care after this, cause I had to pay my, you know, pay my bills, uh, while I was building this other business. Oh my gosh. Cause I would go into the urgent care at eight o'clock. Um, and I'd leave by like seven o'clock and then I'd still have notes to do after that. And so like, you know, you think about that, your hourly rate plus all the hours you spend afterwards, plus the lack of energy in it, you, you have to do anything else after those days. Like sometimes it takes me a whole day to recover after that. Right. And, um, you know, like how many hours are you really working? Right. Right. Because right. Even if, you know, those hours you spend outside recovering, if you're not able to function after that, <laughs> like for ER docs, this is, I think more of a reality because a one ER shift will like knock you out for three days. Right. And uh, it's, it's exhausting. Um, so like what your recovery time, like what's your real hourly rate, right? Like what's, how many hours are you really spending in your job? You know, you get paid a salary and it converts to an hourly rate if you were working 40 hours a week, but most doctors are working 60 or 80. So you really should, you know, divide up your, your hourly rate and see what that actually is based on how many hours you're working. No, hundred percent. And then, you know, like you were talking about as residents, you know, we all have to study, you know, we're learning all of this and you don't, I'm fine. I'm finding this as I go through, you know, it's sim. I don't think it's as bad as when you're a med student where like you don't see everything on the floors or the rotations that are on the test or that you need to know necessarily, but in residency, like you, you don't see, like, I haven't, I mean, I'm, you know, two, two years into radio or my second year radiology residency, you know, I did a year internship. I haven't seen it. I there's a lot of things and we're at a very high volume, you know, center with a lot where we see a 
wide variety of pathology. Yeah. And, you know, I, so I have to study, like supplement what I'm seeing and, you know, help make myself better clinically. And, you know, it's the same, you know, you were in family medicine, it's the same kind of thing. You don't necessarily see like every single case that you need to see or need to know. And so you're, again, you factor that in and then it's like, you know, forget it on how much, you know, what we're getting paid per hour. It's, it's not even worth calculating because it'll just make you so sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. As a resident, it is, it is very, very sad. Um, it's, it's not survivable, honestly, especially now with inflation and like who, who's, who's had an adjustment and in, in their resident salaries, right? Like, you know, it's, it's, it's really ridiculous that there's no reason any resident should be getting paid less than a hundred K. I really, I really don't think there's any reason for that. No, I agree with that, especially when you consider like, especially upper level residents. I mean, I mean, you got like surgery residents and their PGY five or six year and like, they're basically doing the whole case. I mean, everyone's yeah. seen that in med school or like, and you see these attendings, you, I can't imagine what some of them are billing. They're running two or three rooms and they're, you know, maybe scrubbed in on one and they don't even see the patient on the other two. I mean, yep, but they're billing full for that. I mean, they wouldn't be able to do that without a resident. And like, to your point with the nurse, you can't do that with a nurse practitioner. A nurse practitioner can't operate like that. So it's, it's, yeah, it's just insane to me. It's some of the economics. You know, yeah. You know, there's an, there's an interesting culture and startups that differs. uh, I think that would be really helpful for the culture of medicine because in startups, when you go and start a company and you raise capital from VCs or angels or whatever it is, the VCs expect you as the founder or the CEO or the co-founder of that company to pay yourself a salary that you will live comfortably on that you won't have to worry about your bills, that you won't have to worry about things that come up if your car breaks down. They want you to pay yourself not an exorbitant amount of money, but enough to pay your bills and get by and not have to think about money. Because their mindset, the VC's mindset is, we want you focused on this business 150%. We don't want you thinking about anything else. Your job is to go and run this company and make it successful. So, you know, a lot of these a lot of, you know, VC backed founders, CEOs are making like, you know, they'll pay themselves hundred K 120 K enough to comfortably get by comfortably pay their bills. Um, and not have to think about that. And that's really, really smart. And what, like one of the things I've thought about a lot is why isn't that the same logic applied to residents? You expect them to go and, uh, you know, work all the you know, 80 hours a week. They can barely afford a gym membership right? Like pay your rent, afford a gym membership, affording a gym membership. That's like a luxury, right? Um, Cause you know, you, you calculate everything out, especially now with all of this inflation, you know, you're really, there's not a lot left over for you to really survive. Yeah, absolutely. So I guess kind of segueing on that a little bit, I'm curious, how did you get into digital health? Cause I know, you know, I've listened to some of your podcast episodes and um, some of your, the variety of guests you've had on. And I know that's like a big passion yours. How did you get interested in that? And like, what, what particular areas are you kind of working on that, that you're excited about? Yeah. So it really stemmed actually from the podcast because I was trying to figure out really, what am I interested enough about? Who do I want to talk to? And I realized I want to talk to business leaders. I want to know how they built their companies and I want to know what their companies do. And, you know, I actually, uh, interviewed a company and then, um, after that interview, became an advisor for that company uh, while I was still in Boston. And then I realized, like, I think there, I think I can do more of that. Like, I can interview these founders and CEOs and and help them with certain things. And one of the first things I was started helping with uh, helping with was marketing. Actually, how do you market to physicians? How do you enter the market? And then another part of that was um, how do you actually build the product that works for doctors? And so there's this one messaging platform. Uh, that was trying to get into the healthcare sector and they wanted to sell to primary care physicians. 
And so I worked with the partnerships department and was looking at their marketing material. And I'm like, you can't, you can't sell this this way. Right. You, you and I sent them back a, a full like list of changes they should make. And they were like, wow, that was really helpful. Can you do this more of this for us? And, you know, that was really my first path into a advisory thing. I didn't know this was a thing. Right. And so that was really where I got, where it kind of sparked my interest. I, I realized I could either get paid for this or get equity in a company by doing this. And I just doubled down on it. And um, it, I think it was a very natural gravitation for me because I, I just really was interested, really curious. Um, and I just kind of kept following that curiosity and I talked to more founders, more CEOs. And I think, I think when they, I think they can hear it, right. I think when you're talking with someone and they hear like your questions, the way you ask the question, your attention to certain things they say or do, and you know, they, they see that as valuable because uh, I don't think a lot of physicians have that mindset of, of, you know, I, um, thinking about things from a business perspective or having that innovative mindset where it's like, oh, here's the opportunity or here's what you're missing. And here's some constructive things we can do to get to the next step. And I felt like that can't kind of came quite naturally for me. Yeah, that's interesting. You know, and Naveen talked about something similar when I was interviewing him is that physicians, obviously a lot of have a lot, you know, are very highly capable people, but they, especially earlier on, they may not have the confidence, especially outside of the clinical realm to put themselves out there or really fully realize their, their value. And so I guess based on that, what, what is your advice? Cause I imagine you get asked this a lot. Like, what is your advice for finding those opportunities and then convincing people, you know, cause unless they offer it to you, sometimes you kind of have to put yourself out there a little bit and, and yeah. say, Hey, like I can offer this, that would be very valuable. Clearly like that, that example you gave with the messaging uh, company. Yeah. That's a great question. Actually, this comes up a lot in the group uh, that I have. So yeah, it's a process. Actually, this is a process I've sort of learned how to replicate. Um, but to answer the first question, so the confidence thing, right? I think that's a really important point because as a, as a physician, you have so much experience. You have so much clinical knowledge. You know the landscape. You know how things work. You know how the EMRs work. You know how things integrate together. You know how the teams work together. You have so much experience and knowledge. It's, it's unbelievable how valuable that can be to a company. But the, the hard thing is the companies don't know what they don't know right? So they can't see behind the curtain, right? I call it a curtain. And I learned this with the first company I advised for, because this is a billion dollar tech company. And they're asking me questions that I am like, are you like, this is so obvious. What do you mean? <laughs> what are you doing? Right. <laughs> and I, like, I, that, that was really my first like aha moment. And where I was like, holy crap, this is a big deal. Like they really have no idea what they're doing. And this is a company with billions of dollars. So the, the part of it is how do you tell the company? How do you get the company or the, the, the team you're working with to know and understand deeply what they don't know? And that is, uh, that's where the confidence in the sales parts comes in. Because if you are just a clinician and you just have a bunch of knowledge, but you don't know how to sell yourself or know how to talk and uh, show people your value, then it's useless right? You have to be able to speak and market yourself and, and show people, this is my value and this is what I'm worth. And this is why you need me. And so there is a strategy that I uh, actually teach in the group. Um, we call it a consulting playbook of how to do this. And that's actually something I'm more formally putting out to the community. But um, it, it, for me, it looks something like a three-step process or 
I'd call it maybe more of a four-step process where, you know, you have that intro call and really you just start, that's, that's where you really want to learn and hear and listen and pick apart what they're doing and understand that like that first, that first call is for understanding. Um, that second call is maybe a, like going into a little bit more depth or nuance. Maybe you've done some research after and have more questions. That's usually how it goes for me. That third call, I'm delivering some kind of value, like some kind of nuggets and, and saying like, what can I do to help? How is this? Let's, how are we thinking about this? And as typically around that third or fourth call, um, I'm, I'm saying something along the lines of like, here's what I think we need to do. It sounds like what you're telling me is this. Here's what I think you really need. Um, and here's how we do it. Here's my, uh, this is what I can commit to helping you achieve that goal. And uh, here's my, you know, let's create a formal agreement to do this. And, uh, you know, it's gotten to the point where it's more intuition now. Um, you know, I'm really looking for verbal cues, body language, seeing how they're feeling about what I'm saying. And uh, it's, it's a lot of selling. It's a lot of sales, but I use what I'm good at. And I, I use what I know, and I don't try to know things I don't know. And as long as I can uh, convey the value, I think, you know, the, the partnerships and consulting agreements make sense for these startups. But to actually find these opportunities, that's where people struggle, right? How do you get, how do you get, um, how do you get in? How do you find the right people to talk to? And that's why I started Beyond Medicine Group. It's, it's, it's all about the networking and you know, um, that's really what the group is for to kind of bring doctors uh, in touch with some of these founders and investors that are giving them really the opportunities. That's awesome. Now, have most of these opportunities been in the like the digital health space? Is, is that or has it been like medical devices or pharma or anything like that? Or has it mainly been digital health? Uh, for me, it's been only, uh, mainly <clears throat> digital health. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So I'm actually I wanted to ask you a little bit about that. For the people who maybe, you know, it's a kind of a buzz term thrown around. How would you define digital health? And I guess what areas are you particular? Do you particularly think you see making like a major impact in the kind of the near future here? Yeah, I would I would define digital health as a tool that could be that can be utilized digitally to enhance care for patients, right? And um, and and there's there's different kinds of digital health. It's a very broad term. It's not it's not a really good term. I think a lot of people have trouble with this term. I do too, um, because it's so broad. Really, like it can be a lab testing kit. It can be an at home lab lab kit. It can be a tech enabled service. So a tech enabled service is what you hear about when you hear like uh, companies like uh, what's a common one people know like Cerebral or um, Teladoc or uh, Amwell right? These are tech enabled services. So they're, they have soft, they have a platform, but they utilize uh, physicians and nurse practitioners and PAs people to, to do service, but it's through a platform. And so uh, that's one way to define digital health. I would, I would, you know, I, I guess, yeah, that is a digital health company, but there's so many others out there too. There, Apple is a digital health company. Um, and uh, Whoop is a digital health company. And there are a lot more and there's a bunch of digital health that are doing integrations and AI and ML and just integrations that go into your EHR and those kinds of things. Those, those are classified as digital health. So it's not really a great term to define the broad kind of things that we, we plug into it. But I think as far as like just defining what it is, I think that's, that's, that's sort of in the realm of how I define it. <laughs> no, I think that's yeah. a great, great, you know, it's yeah. kind of an umbrella term. I think that was a great 
kind of synopsis of what it is. Um, yeah, I guess, you know, the other thing is like telemedicine, I think you'd probably classify as digital health as well. I right. mean, that with COVID has, you know, just exploded. And whatever, I remember seeing an interview with Eric Topol a while ago, many years ago now, where he was like, talking about prescribing apps to patients, which I thought was just so <laughs> wild, like to help with, you know, compliance or monitoring their heart rate or things like that. And so it's, um, yeah. it's just amazing how much, and I, I almost feel like it's underutilized. Like, I don't think it's, you know, I don't yeah. think it's used enough. I, I'm curious what your thoughts are on that. Yeah. Telemedicine is really interesting. Um, obviously with COVID um, it's become much more commonplace. And uh, I think it's, it's there's a silver lining to the pandemic in that it's really accelerated uh, telemedicine and digital health and ulterior forms of um, of care, um, and I think that it's just enabling what people want now. Really, I think that's all it is. It's just it's it's finally caught up. Telemedicine though is is interesting because well, there's a lot I could say about this, but you know, there, I think we're going back now where 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 I think a lot of companies are realizing that hybrid really is the true kind of direction of where things will go in the future. So it won't be all virtual, but virtual will be sort of a value add to existing uh, practices, to existing in-person um, practices. It'll be like, things are going to blend together. Like we, we went super extreme telemedicine, virtual only because we really had to. And now things will come back to the center a little bit more and it'll be, it'll be both. And I think that'll be, you know, that'll be the really cool part. And so I look at like the development of telemedicine and digital health and like sort of three, three iterations. And that first iteration was the, was the Teladocs and the AMLAWS, which is really the first tech enabled service telemedicine company. And these, these are early, like 2012, 13, 14, like they started early on. Um, and there were some OGs in, the, in that uh, category, physicians that really started this. And they've been preaching this long before the pandemic. And that was the first iteration of digital, of telemedicine. And the, the second iteration, I think, is uh, really what just happened now with the pandemic, where it became more fragmented and more problem focused. So you had the testosterone replacement company, the ADHD company, and the diabetes company, and the, the you know, like they became really focused and narrow and niche. And um, I think, I think the, right now, what we'll probably see over the next year, year and a half is a lot of those companies that raised seed funds that which a lot, there were a lot, right? There's a lot of money that went out into these companies over the last year and a half. Probably over, probably over the next year and a half, a lot of them will die out or become, con, or there will be consolidation where they'll be acquired by some bigger companies. And the ones that don't will probably not be able to raise maybe like a series A fund and uh, continue on because the money's going to dry up and the margins are really, really bad for a lot of these companies. And they're not, there's probably not a path to profitability for a lot of them. And so that'll be like the end of the second iteration. And then I think the the next phase will be this third iteration of digital health and telemedicine. And that'll look more, I think this is just a, a, a prediction, more community focused and more integrated, more hybrid community focused and integrated into physical locations. That's really interesting. You know, and I, I think a couple of interesting points there, one on like the number of startups that are kind of exploding in these kind of niche areas. I think one another example of that is there's an attending I work with here at Emory that's very involved. He runs like an AI research lab. So he gets approached by, you know, these AI startups all the time and yep. he consults for some of them. And he was telling me, you know, there's something like six or 700, like radiology only AI companies. It's insane. And he's yeah. like, 
only a small fraction is really going to make it. He goes, he's like, because it's exactly what you're talking about. You know, it's one, it's hard to, for a number of reasons to even to sometimes convince the health systems of the value of these to make, you know, how do you actually make money? What are you charging for? Because these people, you know, it's so new and abstract to a lot of people. Yeah. And then, you know, being so focused, like, you know, some algorithms are the long nodule algorithm or one's the stroke algorithm or things like that. And it's become, as you said, very fragmented. So I think, and he's kind of said some similar things that it's, you know, what you see in the future is kind of probably, you know, fusing a lot of these algorithms together is kind of be the new, new wave as far as that goes, um, which I think is really interesting. Yeah, I, th- I think so too. I think there'll be a lot of consolidation. It's already happening. There's there's going to be a lot of consolidation over the next year and a half. Um, and it'll it'll be for the better. I think that some of these companies really just don't need to exist. We don't need a million solutions. We just need you know one or two good ones um, and enough competition in the marketplace to bring costs down. But you know, it's funny because really what 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 is the most interesting part is all of these tech-enabled services. All they are is a way for clinicians, doctors to see patients, right? And it's a way to deliver care. And so they're all also competing for the same limited number of people. And um, a lot of the companies, you know, one of the big things that companies are actually looking for when they acquire another company is which company, who has the physicians? If you have the physicians, are they credentialed with you? That becomes a huge value add because that's that's the scarce, that's the scarce uh, resource and um and who gets to, you know where do physicians put their li- loyalty where are they committed um and we're making those decisions doctors are making those decisions based on how good is your experience with this company how are you getting paid um do you enjoy them do you like the mission do you are you treated well right and so a, a lot of the digital health companies and the telemedicine companies are missing an important piece of the puzzle here of like what's the clinical experience what's the clinician experience and you know they're your most they're really the most valuable asset you have as a as a company um, because they're they're your product really yeah that's interesting you know it's because you have to know the end user you know like I've talked to people that work in medical device uh, and I, I work on some medical device stuff on the as well here at Emory and Georgia Tech and you know people want and even the engineers because the engineers they obviously they know way better than we'll ever know the inner workings of all these different technologies or devices or whatnot, but yeah. knowing how to actually apply it because so many people develop, the problem is what I've seen in, is people develop these new technologies, but they don't necessarily have the best solution. Like they're not targeting it at the best solution in the world. Um, right. And so it's, I think that clinic, that's where you make a great point because the clinical insight kind of helps direct that much more because they, you know, if you're on the ground or you've had experience being around the ground, yeah. seeing patients, you know, where those pain points are. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, it's funny. It's funny. I, uh, I was once drawing up like this, um, sort of mind map exercise of uh, how to explain this concept. And I, you know, in, in startups, in the startup world, we, we have a term called uh, product market fit, which is really just, you know, you've got this, you've got this prototype that you've created and there's a market out there that you're trying to get into. And, and when you reach product market fit, there is a, it's, it's, it's supposed to mean you've reached, like, this is what the market wants. This is what people are asking for. It's in super high demand and you don't have enough of it. Right. And you're scrambling to now scale. Like if you've done that as a company with a prototype, you've quote unquote, reached product market fit. And there's a, an interesting thought that I've had around uh, the clinical side of things of like product clinical fit. 
how does this fit into the clinical setting? How does this product or service or integration or whatever really, really fit into the ecosystem of healthcare? How does it fit into the workflow of doctors and nurses and PAs and et cetera? And, and how does it fit into the workflows of even the patient? And so there's, yeah, so that's where the physicians come in and helping reach that actual product clinical fit. And this is a term I've made up by maybe I should coin it or something. No, I really, I really like that term a lot. I think that's, it's more uh, specific and it's so simple, but it really illustrates what we're trying to get at here. And I think, you know, another interesting, and I've seen this a lot in digital health is I remember one of the most shocking things to me when I was a third year med student doing rotations was the amount of like non, like non-compliance among patients, you know, with medications or, or things like that. And, you know, I've since learned that there's obviously a number of like socioeconomic factors that can play into that or other issues that play in that. And in addition to just, you know, people not taking their meds for whatever reason. <laughs> and obviously that's very frustrating, you know, whatever the causes for the physician, especially I, you know, I'm preaching to the choir, I'm sure in primary care where that's, you know, something you deal with on almost a daily basis. But I think this is like an example where digital health has really played an interesting role. And that's where, because I, you know, I'll tell people that outside of medicine they they just assume like, Oh, everybody takes their meds. Oh, everybody goes to physical therapy when they're supposed to. And, and like, does this and does that. And like, the fact yeah. of the matter is, is, you know, they don't, <laughs> as you know, very well. And so yeah. I think even having that, as you say, like kind of revealing behind the curtain, even pinpoint pain points that people wouldn't realize at all. Uh, yeah. But... Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, doctors know the pain points better than anyone. Clinicians, all, most clinicians do. And um, I, I say doctors because like, um, you know, that's who our community is. We, we really are the subject matter experts, but there's also, um, nurses and physical therapists and OTs and all that, that also have a lot of very specific knowledge that is useful for digital health in their, on their side of things. Right. So it's not just doctors, but it's really the whole spectrum of the clinical team. Um, even case managers and, and social workers really a, a lot can be done in that category too. Um, but yeah, the, 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 we, we know that the working, the users the, of the system, right. The participants, we know the problems really, really well. And what's interesting is if you were to take all the clinicians out of the system and make them all entrepreneurs, we would solve 99% of the problems much faster, much cheaper, much more efficiently than any of these entrepreneurs. But what we don't know is obviously how to build a company, how to run a team, how to raise capital, how to do work, you know, et cetera, et cetera. That's where the, that's where the, these are the health tech builders. That's where that they come in, but they're building solutions for things they don't fully understand. Right. So a lot of times what ends up happening, there's either um, some serendipitous moment or connection where there's a physician that meets a friend that's, uh, you know, really well-versed in building companies and the physician's telling them about this problem that they have. And, you know, the, the entrepreneur is like, oh my gosh, I think we can create a solution here. Those companies, I've seen a few of these scenarios, those end up doing really well. When there's a, when there's a clinical leader and an entrepreneur that come together and go to solve something, those companies do the best because they, the, the, what they're solving, there's someone that knows exactly what they're solving. And there's an entrepreneur, someone with some experience that knows how to build this, how to raise capital, how to build a team. The ones that do really bad are physicians that go start companies. <laughs> uh, as a future investor, I will not invest in any of those companies. 
because unfortunately doctors don't know how to run businesses or how to run an efficient business. And I know there's, this might sound bad for a lot of physicians that maybe are listening, but it's not a bad thing. I think it's just, it's just, you need to know what you're good at and what you're not good at. And, um, you need to not have any uh, insecurity or entitlement around that because if you really want to build a solution, you need to know, you also need to know what you don't know. You need to also know that maybe um, you need to partner with someone and partner with someone that knows what they're doing and has done this before successfully. The last thing you want to do, and I've seen a lot of doctors do this, is spend tens, hundreds of thousands of dollars building something, building a prototype with no, without, do it yourself and think you're just going to do that and put a prototype on in the market and it's going to take off. Horrible idea. <laughs> Please do not do that. Um, if you do, do want to do that, the best way is maybe get into a community like Beyond Medicine Group or Health Tech Nerds or something. Start networking with uh, developers and with uh, business leaders um, and go through an accelerator or go through a um, uh, just don't do it alone. <laughs> don't do it alone. <laughs> it's funny. A lot of what you're saying is Mark Cuban said the exact same thing when I interviewed him. He was, oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, haven't asked, had to, I haven't had a chance to listen to that, but I'm, I'm that's next on my list. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. Definitely. Know, let me know what you think. It's, it was interesting talking to him because, you know, we talked a lot about his online pharmacy company, but then also at the end, I was just curious, you know, he's in, invested in so many different companies and things yeah. like that. And talking about and he's like man physician entrepreneurs and, and in, he said inventors too or, or he's like they're two of the worst people to like run businesses because really? <laughs> yeah that's a, literally what he says and he, he was like he held no he, he did not yeah. hold back at all and he was like oh my god that's so funny he's like inventors all they want to do is like do their devices and like you know work on their prototypes and all that stuff and they don't really care about the business and then physicians exactly what you're saying they think they know everything they don't want to listen to anybody they think they know best yeah. So I asked him all, I said, Mark, I said, what, I said, have you worked with any that are any good? Like, and if they're, if yes, like, what have you noticed? And he said exactly what you're talking about. He goes, they're the ones that know what they don't know. They're the ones that partner that don't necessarily have to be the CEO that they maybe they're the chief medical officer and they bring someone else, like a business background person to be yeah. the CEO. And it's exactly what you're talking about. And, so, and it just makes sense. I mean, it's just like the yeah. taking care of a patient, like you're not going to see a nephrologist try to do neurosurgery, you know, or right. something like that. Like you're, it's, yeah. there's, there's all this, so there's a reason why you have sub, I mean, or you wouldn't as a doctor try to do the legal right. side of it. Cause you have no idea like on some of that yeah. aspect. <laughs> it's a very, very, it's crazy. Yeah. Um, and working in startups, really, I, I think that's where I learned this and, and working as an advisor to um, physician run companies is very different than working as an advisor to non-physician run companies. So, you know, like you want to give people the hard truth and you want to tell them like, cause you want to, you don't want them to waste time and money on something that, you know, is going to fail. And you can like, at this point, I can see it a mile away. I think with some, with some founders, uh, especially in the startup world, you know, and, um, you just, you really do have to know what you don't know. And you really not need to not have ego around that because the build, the, the, the entrepreneurs have gone through, you know, you've gone through 12 years of training. The entrepreneurs have gone through 12 years of failure, right? They've gone through all of the failure, the mishaps, the pain, the struggle that goes into building a company. They have no entitlement. They know what it takes to get something to be profitable, um, you can't learn that overnight. You have to experience it and you, you need someone with that experience. And for even some first time entrepreneurs, like 
a lot of them do well, sometimes do well, uh, but they go through an accelerator and they have an advisory board of eight other entrepreneurs. They're never doing it alone, right? They're doing it with, with a lot of support and they're doing it full time. They're not doing this like practicing three days a week and they're doing this hundred hours a week and this is their life. Yeah. That's interesting. You know, I'm curious, kind of going off that a little bit, I want to get into more, a little bit more about beyond the beyond medicine group and like, like why you started it. Cause I imagine a lot of what we're talking about was kind of the impetus for that. So like, I guess, yeah. why, why did you start it? What are you trying to, trying to build? You know, you graciously invited me to be a part of this community. And, and I, I thank you for that. Cause it's, I've only been on a couple of weeks and it's some of the conversations have been awesome. I've had people reach out to me to be on the podcast or talk about other things. So it's, it's really That's cool awesome. what you're building. So it's a, maybe yeah. tell us a little bit more about that. Oh, that, and that makes me happy, man. That's why I built it, really. Um, but yeah, it's an interesting story. So I went, to, so I, my last startup, I, I went to this conference called Vive. Um, and it was in Miami. And it's a huge digital health conference, one of the biggest of the year. And, uh, you know, I get to this conference and um, I'm walking up and down the halls one day and I'm looking around and I'm like, man, there's like a million, there's like hundreds of companies here, digital health companies, all like, you know, doing all these different kinds of things. And they're building products and apps and technologies for physicians and nurses and clinical teams. And I'm like, the hell, there's no doctors here. I'm like one of seven doctors in this entire building. And there's thousands of people here. <laughs> right. And that blew, absolutely blew my mind. I was like obsessed with this like thought of like, how is this even possible? So I go to Twitter or somewhere, I don't know where I posted this. And I'm like, uh, you know, like, there's a huge disconnect here between our clinical community and the digital health community. And why is, why is this the case? Right. And it ended up going viral. And I like, apparently a bunch of other people felt this the way too. And I was like, yeah, like I, I knew I wasn't the only one that thought this. I knew something was off here. And so I started really thinking about how do I, um, what's the solution? Like, well, I know there's an opportunity. I know there's a gap here. I know that there's something missing, but I don't know what to do about it. I really don't. I, you know, there's two communities siloed in their own worlds, clinicians siloed in their clinical world, health tech builders siloed in all, their old world. And I, the, really the way the way I described it was that these are two com communities living in separate worlds that desperately need each other. You know, the, all I could think of was like drawing two circles and a bridge. <laughs> Almost like a Venn diagram. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm like, all right, the solution is build this bridge. What is this bridge? What does it look like? And, uh, you know, I, I started thinking about communities and, um, and uh, I've been, you know, I've done this before building communities with the podcast. And so I thought, all right, if I build a, like, let's just say a Slack community and I bring in the clinical people and I bring in the health tech people and I create a way for communication, open communication to happen, but also provide each community their own safe space, safe space, which is really what we created. So we created the doctor's lounge and we created the network. So these are two private communities within Beyond Medicine Group, but there's all the public channels that we have, which is the bridge, all these public opportunities for collaboration to happen. We do the coffee matching where we introduce a doctor to a health tech founder or an investor. Um, these happen bi-weekly. And so these conversations are going to, you know, uh, start happening. And, and um, really, I think that's where the opportunities happen. Because once you, once you bring these two communities together and you start meeting people from a different place from where you're from and a different, do different things than you, then that 
doctor with the great idea can partner with that entrepreneur with the great background and, you know, great things can happen. And so that's really what it started off is. And then, you know, I built the website myself and I built the community myself. I did this all in a low budget, um, really didn't spend a lot of money on it. Really, this was my MVP. And, you know, I used the lean approach. Like, yeah, I didn't have to go spend a, a hundreds of thousands of dollars to go build something. I just used this, the resources I had to just test something, see if it's there. And now, you know, it's a paid group. It's $100 a year. You get enormous amounts of values out of value out of it. And uh, it's, it's extremely fun. And uh, for me, it brings me a lot of joy to be able to do that. That's really cool. And, you know, it's, I don't, you would probably know better than me, but I, I feel like there's not much else out there for this. I mean, obviously there's LinkedIn and, you know, mm-hmm. there's more and more doctors, you know, jumping on LinkedIn and things like that. But it's, I feel like there's two types of doctors on LinkedIn. There's the, like, there's the ones that, you know, they have the profile and they have like 35 connections and they post and they don't even post <laughs> and they, and they don't really do much. And yeah. then there's the other ones that are like really involved, you know, they've got, you know, thousands of connections and they post and, you know, they've got interesting other things going on. And so, yeah, I think both types of doctors would help, would benefit from, because even if you're on LinkedIn, you can also kind of get lost in the crowd. Like, um, yeah. who do I reach out to? And a lot of these business people who are, you know, obviously more savvy with maybe with networking or on some of these business platforms, I, they probably get so many messages and things yeah. like that. And so I think building kind of a community where people have a common interest or a common goal exactly. makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And it attracts all the right people. Um, you know, the, the, most of the people that come to the group have an interest are, are probably of the archetype of being innovators or innova- interested in innovation in some capacity. It all, it really, it's, it's very, it attracts certain people, right? Either I've worked in digital health or learning about digital health or want to become part of it. This is something they've already been thinking about. And, um, you know, I was, I've been very intentional to invite uh, leader, a lot of leaders that have done uh, important things or built companies, even some physicians that have built really big companies and successful companies, because these are people we can learn from and can provide valuable resources for us. And I've really just been intentional about keeping the group uh, filled with the right people, right? Because you want to you don't, you, you want to invite everybody. You want everybody to participate, but you also want to make sure they're there for the right reasons. Um, they're there to collaborate. They're there to contribute, um, and be part of a really good community. And, um, I think some communities can get, uh, watered down by people who are not there really to help or not there because they actually are interested in digital health or whatever. They're just there to cause a ruckus or something like that. And, you know, we want to, we, we just, we want to build a good community because I want to, I want to help everybody. Like, like I, I get so much joy when like, like you just told me, you know, people reached out to you and, you know, some good opportunity came from that. For me, that like that, that, that's what I love to hear. And that's what I love to do. And, uh, you know, I want to help as many people as I can get into digital health, get into the opportunities they want, because I know I like, I know how soul sucking sometimes clinical medicine can be if that's the only thing you're doing. Right. And I, and, and I want to help as many people as I can get into these opportunities. And just from my past experience, I know like the network is, it's really all about the networking. And I, and I keep saying that over and over again, because it's the truth. It's about who, you know, and how do you get connected with them? And, you know, what's the process to actually close a deal? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. I guess who, who else is your, is your team on this? Who, who else is collaborating with you to help, help build this and, and uh, bring this even further? 
Yeah. So um, I've had a lot of good advisors <laughs> that have helped me uh, do some things and, and, and bounce ideas off of. I got to shout out Paulius. Uh, he's a, he's actually a resident primary care, uh, family medicine resident, and, uh, he's very knowledgeable about digital health. Polly is shout out for, uh, being my, he's, I call him my consigliere. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you know the mafia hierarchy. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's, like my, he's like my personal advisor. Um, but he keeps me going in the right direction. And like, if I'm doing something that maybe isn't, um, beneficial for the community or isn't like really that helpful he'll be like Rami I don't think that's the right direction or I think we should do this instead and he's very honest with me about certain things and I appreciate that a lot about him so I think it's good to have someone like that in your corner friends whoever because they'll keep you honest and uh they'll keep you uh from like you just need someone that's not going to just say yeah this is a great idea you want them to think about it and be like uh no I think I think you think you don't do that or don't you know that sort of thing. Um, and then I got a shout out Shayan uh, Syed uh, Shay. He's uh, he's uh, he works in health uh, in health tech. He's like a, he's a computer scientist and a data engineer. Um, and uh, he's helped me a lot with uh, kind of like more the more technical aspects of things. He built a bot for the community, like <laughs> amazing oh, man. <laughs> yeah, so uh, he's uh, he's another uh, person that's uh, that's helping out. But right now, that's really I, I'm doing most of the most of the running and the, and the things in my, in my in-between time, really. That's awesome. Well, yeah. Rami, as we come up on the hour here, I want to make sure we kind of plug all your, your endeavors here. So where, where can people find beyond, beyond medicine group and, and get involved if they want to, and, and also, you know, reach out to you and find out, find, uh, get more involved with what you're doing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, first of all, I have to thank you, man, because you are such a good interviewer. You really are. Um, these oh, are thank you very thoughtful questions and the way you've kind of segued into each topic. Like, I think I need to study how you, how you do your um, interviews. Cause you know, really good job, really great job doing it. Cause I know how hard it is to be a podcast host. Mm -hmm. It's hard to, you know, think about your question and also listen and do all these things. So got to hand it off. I got to hand it to you for doing such a great job uh, with the questions. Thank you. Um, I really appreciate that. Yeah. And uh, to, you know, to connect with me, uh, LinkedIn's probably a good place, uh, but the best place, if you really want feedback or if you want to learn, uh, if you want to be part of a vibrant community, uh, Beyond Medicine Group is the place to be. And you can sign up through the website. It's beyondmedicinegroup.com. Uh, click on community. There's a, there's a form you'd fill out, basically put in your information, and then uh, you'll get a launch pass link, which uh, gives you access to the group. If you're a physician, uh, you'll get access to the doctor's lounge. So it's a private group only for physicians. We have certain integrations in there where you can actually ask anonymous questions. If there's something you're embarrassed about or something you don't want to publicly state or you know something you just really need some frank feedback about, you can post it anonymously, anonymously without having to have an intermediary like Facebook groups, right? This is so much cooler because you can uh, post your own anonymous question. You get feedback from literally hundreds of physicians that are not only physicians, but work in industry, work in digital health, uh, CEOs of, you know, we got some really big CEOs in the company in this group. Um, so it's like a huge, huge uh, value add. Um, and then the, you know, if you're a non-physician or just, you know, work in, in digital health or an investor or a founder, you'll join the network. Um, and once you fill out these forms, you'll get an email from me personally with the links. 
Um, it's hundred dollars for the year, super cheap. We're doing that on purpose. Just, you know, we want to bring people in, but I think, you, I think you don't value something unless you pay for it. And so um, we do that. I, I really do that just uh, to make sure that we keep the right people in, because uh, if you value network and you value um, and you value community, then you'll, you'll put that money up front and uh, see it as an investment in yourself. And it helps us run the group, uh, hire a community manager, pay for the applications and integrations we do in the group. And so, um, you know, beyondmedicinegroup.com, there's a, uh, you can do, or beyondmedicinegroup.com slash community. Um, we have a form on there that you can sign up for. Awesome. Awesome. And then your, in your podcast site, you know, it's, it's found on wherever podcasts are found and it's just, yes. uh, beyond medicine podcast. That's awesome. Yeah. Beyond medicine is the podcast. We have some really, really cool podcasts coming up, uh, two I'm really excited about. I'm not going to share one of them. That's going to be a surprise because this is a, a long awaited episode, but one of the, the, uh, I interviewed the CEO of I'm aware that show that episode will come out, uh, this week. Oh, wow. And, uh, and, uh, we'll have some more cool episodes coming soon. That's awesome. And awesome. I would love to have you on my podcast as well. So maybe I can, uh, we can uh, trade chairs here and, and uh, I can ask you all the, all the fun questions. Yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. That'd be awesome. Um, well, Rami, I really enjoyed our conversation and, you know, thanks for, thanks for joining me. I appreciate it. Absolutely, man. This was, this was a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Da Vinci Hour podcast presented by Da Vinci Academy. Please be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow the podcast on your podcast platform of choice to catch the latest episodes. Please leave a comment or review and share it with a friend. Lastly, you can find all of our podcasts, video courses, and books on our website, dviacademy.com. Thank you for listening.